We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's mailbag time, Mr. Roberts, and we, we've got a few questions here. If you all have more questions, go ahead and throw them in now, but we have about 14 right now that we'll get into first. So I want to begin with Sean Green. And his question is, missed Friday's mailbag, so if I so I didn't get to ask this, but what's your thoughts on uh, Julian Love? I almost said Jeremiah Love. Julian Love signing with the Seattle Seahawks. As a Giants fan, I'm pretty bummed he had a good season for us last season. So, Ryan, let me say this. The reason I had you read that question is because yeah. I just kind of skimmed the questions. And if it's a question about the NFL, the NFL draft, I'll read it so that way Ryan can answer it. Oh, I saw Jay Love, and I just assumed it was about Jeremiah <laughs> so that's my bad. I should have read it and kicked the question to you, but was it two years, 12 million? Two years, 12, so, yep. No, I want to I kind of add on to this. Number one is, what did you think about what he got contract-wise, and then what do you think about his, his fit with the Seahawks? What are your thoughts on that, on that pickup? I was actually surprised that Julian didn't get a little bit more because, I mean, to Sean Green's point, played really well with the Giants this year, man. He was the leading tackler. He can play a little bit in the slot. He played from depth. He does a lot of things for that Giants defense. He had a couple interceptions, a few pass breakups. Julian, I mean, for a while there, Brian, like towards near near the end of the season, you're like, Julian Love might make a Pro Bowl here. Like, it's possible. He's at least in the conversation piece as a safety position. He didn't end up making a Pro Bowl, but like regardless, he had a nice, really nice season. He kind of had a breakout in 2021, but like 2022 was by far his best year. So going into that contract year, you're like, Man, like after the contract ends, obviously you're like, man, he might get a little bit of money here. You know, I was expecting more in like the nine, ten million dollar a year type of range. He only gets six mil a year, which is, I mean, still good money, right? <laughs> like it's, I'm I'll talking about six it. million dollars, <laughs> like it's nothing, right? But I think that I think that the Seattle Seahawks got a great deal with Julian Love. I, I am the one good thing I think about Julian's deal is that if he has two good years now he still has another contract that he can cash in on, right? So it's not like he's locked into like a five-year at like $6 million a year where he might not be able to get to a next contract. I think that the Seattle Seahawks got an absolute steal out of this one. I think Julian Love is perfect for what Pete Carroll likes to do on the defensive side of the football. He wants to play a lot of too high looks at pre-snap, but then really move guys around a little bit. And I think that's the really the biggest thing about Julian's game that is so underrated is that Julian can play nickel. Like he can come down and play in the slot. 
He can rotate to the middle of the field. He can play too high in like, you know, in, in quarters and, and halves and, and do all that type of stuff as far as being a versatile piece. So I think he's a really good fit in Seattle. I think that they're going to like him. He's a good football player, man, and he can do a lot of things for defense. So I, I think he's a really nice fit with Seattle, honestly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Timeout Tom says, please explain Eric Lindstrom's commitments. That's the uh, 2023 walk-on that just announced last week. I, there's nothing to explain. He didn't have the Division One offers that he wanted. He had a chance to come to Notre Dame as a walk-on, and Notre Dame took him, and it's a quality walk-on. I mean, again, he's not to the level as like Luke Talich. We talked about this on Friday. He's not to the level like Luke Talich or, or like a Jordan Faison or even Henry Garrity. Like those are, to me, legitimate Division One caliber athletes that Notre Dame got his walk-ons, especially Luke Talich. I mean, he's a legit power five athlete. Whereas I think like Jordan Faison, like if Jordan Faison would have got a scholarship from Florida Atlantic or South Florida, I wouldn't have been shocked at all. I mean, he's that kind yeah. of athlete, in my opinion. If Henry Garrity would have got a scholarship to Indiana or a Purdue, or at the very least, like a I mean, he'd be a, he'd be a, one of the best players in the class at several Mac schools, right? Well, Notre yes. Dame getting kids like that is big, you know, and, and, Part of the reason he didn't get more offers is because he's Pat Garrity's kid and everybody's kind of assumed he was going to go to Notre Dame. I mean, I think that hurt his offer opportunities. But I think he, I think he still would have gone to Notre Dame. Like, that's a legitimate Division One caliber player. To me, Eric Lidstrom strikes me more as a, as a FCS caliber kid, Ryan, a really good FCS caliber kid that maybe can grow into a, a Power 5 type of guy, in my opinion. But more of a you know, good program guy that, you know, is a tough kid, decent frame, you know, kid that you really say, boy, that guy, that guy makes us better on Saturdays because he gives us everything he's got Monday to Friday. Yeah. And this isn't, this isn't me um, trying to think of how to say this, right? This isn't me like patronizing walk-ons. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. If, if your prep team is not giving you a great look effort-wise, talent wise and all that it's you're not going to be quite as prepared as you otherwise could be on a Saturday. And it's a little different at the division three level. Cause we could have so many more kids than the division one kids have, 
But, I mean, there were some teams I was on, Ryan. Like, when it's a Christopher Newport, I'd say probably seven of the ten games we played that year, might those years, Saturday was like, we're not facing athletes on Saturday like we face in practice every day. Just not. You know, and, and that's how it was with USC back in the day. That's how it is with Alabama. Where it's like, dude, your scout team's giving you a better look than Vanderbilt is. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just the reality of it. And that's – and it's not just scholarship kids. It's walk-ons. Now, what makes it harder to walk on at Notre Dame is – Alabama can take some really good, like, you know, UAB caliber guy and bring him in as a walk-on. He's paying, what, 13, 14,000 a year. He's getting grant in-state grants here, in-state grants there because he's an in-state kid. And But Notre Dame, it's $60,000, There's no in-state, you know, rate for that and you, kid. And, and you have to get into school, too. So There you yeah. go, because they can't, they can't pull strings to get you into school. So it is tough yeah. to put together a walk-on situation like Notre Dame is, which, again, speaks volumes to the job that Chad Bowden and his crew, crew did to be able to bring in the Luke Talichs and and the, the guys that they brought in. It's a really impressive walk-on group, and I'm not saying that in a patronizing manner at all. That is huge for Notre Dame. I mean, I, I, when I'm thinking of Notre Dame's 23 class, Ryan, I actually think in my head Luke Talich is part of the class. I do. Seriously. I know yeah. he's not on scholarship, but when I talk about evaluating the 2023 class, I evaluate it as he's part of that class. I do. He's that good, in my opinion. Yeah. And so um, this kid is not quite on that level, but this is the kind of good program kid that you're going to hear stories about when he's a senior about how important this kid is to the program if he sticks it, sees it through for four years. You know, that's what, what you're going to hear about. Well, one thing I, I remember hearing about Nebraska in like the 90s, Brian, when they were like oh, yeah. fantastic, was they would 90s, bring in yeah. a crazy amount of walk ons, man, and they were quality players. So, like, they would beat each other up on a day in and day out process. So, like, that preparation matters, man. It does. And I would say this, Brian, like, there's Notre Dame's had a few good walk ons recently. But, man, they brought in some dudes this year. I think their walk-on situation is going to be at a much higher level here moving forward. And, again, I think that just breeds more into Marcus Freeman. One thing that he's been consistent about – well, he's been consistent about a bunch of things. But one major thing he's been consistent about is competition. Competition. And you can't stress competition if you don't have a a – lot of good football players, right? Because at some point there's going to be a breaking point of like, ah, man, that's just a freshman. That's just a freshman walk on behind me. Like I can't, like I can take a playoff, right? No safety in the room can take a playoff with Luke Tolich behind him. They can't take it because you're like, that kid is 6'3", 185. It could hit and it could play football, man. Like that's a good football player. He should be playing at Washington State or Utah right now. Like he should be out there on scholarship. And I think that, that makes the biggest difference is that there's no – easy moments in practice anymore for some of these players. It's like, I need to play my ball, man. If I'm a slot receiver, Jordan Faison's behind me. Like Jordan Faison, I could play, man. Like I need to be, I need to be ready to ball out. Henry Garrity, one of the depth tight ends in the class. It's like, you need to play today, man. You need to play hard and you need to be able to be your best version of yourself or else some of these guys that are labeled a walk-on might pass you up at some point, man. Like that's where we're at. Well, you know, like like Matt Salerno catches a lot of crap from fans, and, and it kind of bothers me a little bit because I feel like Matt Salerno is being punished because of decisions that Tommy Reese made, meaning sure. like they made the decision to play him over Tobias Merriweather. But right. the reality is, Ryan, Matt Salerno is an excellent walk-on type of player. I mean, he was excellent. able to go out and make yeah. a catch against a Florida State and score touchdowns this year. Like, 
you give me Matt Salerno's every year on the on, uh, as a walk on, I'm loving my walk on situation, and I think he gets a lot of flack because they view him as a negative because he should never play and all this. And I'm like, look, right. y'all, we need to not punish Matt Salerno for what for our perceptions of of what Tommy Reese did in regard yeah. to playing him over younger players. What a jerk! He comes in every day and he works his butt off and he right. earns some playing right. time. Like come exactly, on, come on. exactly. <laughs> and so, like, you give me kids like that. That's a great walk on situation because if you get into a pinch. He's going to go out there and help you. Your starting punt returner goes down. So you put him in the game and you ask him to field the punts, right? You know, you're, you're, you've got a bunch of injuries at receiver. So you bring him in and guess what? He makes a, the, one of the best plays of the year for you. Yeah. So those are very, very important things for me. Notre Dame is a, is a school that preaches competition. Marcus Freeman is a coach that preaches competition. And in order for there to be great competition – you need a gluttony of great football players. You need a bevy of talent around you, and I think at, continue to add that depth is you know very important, obviously, for the program. Yeah, Ryan, I'm going to um, bring up this next question for you to ask yourself, and then I want you to dive into it, and I'll be right back because okay. I hear my dog crying upstairs, and I need to go check no on it. So I'm going to bring this one up for you. Sounds good. That question this is, is this is in regard from Kay. This is, she put this up, Ryan, uh, when we were talking about the 2025 quarterbacks. So okay. Just, you know. Yep. So Katie Kiever says a question. Thank you so much for the question, Katie. She said, who is Notre Dame in the best position with at the point in the process? Katie, it's it's obviously really early. Uh, one thing that we'll hit on is, you know, there's during a recruiting process, especially when we're talking about sophomores, it's about really setting the stage and setting the foundation for those recruitments. Right. So like you're not I mean, there's like one of those kids is not going to commit pretty much anywhere, probably for a few months. Like there's some kids that commit as sophomores, but we're going to be talking about more you know, closer to their junior year, probably more summerish is probably when you usually get some commitments off the board or if not going into their junior year, obviously. Right. So for me, if I, you asked me and you did ask me, who are we in the best position with? I would say right now, the guys that I feel most confident in, I guess, would be probably Cutter Bowley, who is obviously the quarterback out of Kentucky. He's because he's been on campus before, and then you talk about, you know, Deuce, obviously, down there in Mississippi. He's a guy that, again, you you have been in there. Like You are getting him on campus on April 1st. You look at him and say, if you have a great visit, that is a player where, you know, you might be able to, you know, move things forward and set a good foundation with. Bryce Underwood is a complete unknown. You know, he's a guy that is being recruited by everyone. He's a guy that has never been on campus, to my knowledge, at the University of Notre Dame. So you have no baseline there. I think George McIntyre, and I've had conversations with George uh, leading up to him being recruited and uh, being offered even beforehand. I think that he is also very much intrigued by Notre Dame. But if you had to ask me right now, I, I'd say Cutter Bowley is the guy that has been on campus before. The guy that you know, it, but again, that, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily pushing for Cutter Bowley. But in order to be a position, there has to be like mutual interest, if that makes sense. So I say, I think him, I think Deuce is another guy that, you know, is, is going to be on campus here soon that you're going to have an opportunity with. Other than that, you don't really know what KJ Lacey's interest level are. You don't really know what a guy like a Bryce Underwood's interests are. So that's really something that's going to be determined as it kind of moves forward in the process. But this is kind of a foundational relationship building process for Notre Dame. And it'll be interesting the next few weeks to see how many of these guys get on campus, obviously, this offseason. Yeah, because it's really early for those kids, Ryan. I mean, it's yeah. really early. We're still three, four months away from where CJ Carr was when he committed and CJ committed early. You know what I mean? Like CJ committed 
really early for a quarterback. You know, he was one of the first 2025 four quarterbacks to commit, the Big Ten quarterbacks to commit. So we won't really know where they are till, like you said, Ryan, till they all get on campus. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, and and honestly, I don't know if they necessarily know for sure right now who their number one guy is. I'm very curious to see if they even have an idea of who their number one guy is at this right. point. Like, in time. A, like a, like a pecking order of the list. Right. Like who knows? Yeah, exactly. Right. Or is it like, they're just all so good that it doesn't really matter. We'll take whoever wants to come. I mean, to a degree, if, if you're like, Hey, look, between Bryce Underwood, uh, Deuce Knight, KJ Lacey and George McIntyre, I'll take the first one that wants to commit. I'm like, okay, sure. sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I may have one guy here, one guy there, but it's like, yeah, they're all dudes. You don't pass on one of those guys because you want to wait on another. None of them are so good that you wait on him. Right, right. now, there's other quarterbacks on the board that say, "Hey, let's hold off and kind of see what happens here before we make a move." That would be my thing. That's where I would be with some of those guys. Yep. So, so good question. Here, here's one that's got people fired up. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up two right now that kind of talk about the same topic. So, okay. Here from Revolver sixty two thirty eight said Hillman committed to uh, to Michigan. This can't keep happening. He signed with Michigan. He did sign with Michigan. Yeah, and then uh, Salty followed up with so Notre Dame's admit admissions standards were too high, but Michigan's aren't. This is a self inflicted wound. Yeah, um, it is hundred percent because. I I can't go into details yet, Ryan, because I'm I, I don't have the authority from his side to get into the specifics yet, and and yeah. so I'm not going to talk about a kid's academic situation or how it happened until you know he's comfortable with that. Sure, but this was an unforced error by Notre Dame more than anything else. And if your thing is well, he was supposed to get a grade and he didn't get it, it's not an accurate representation of what really happened based on the conversation I've had. And that's all I can say right now. This is, this is inexcusable. This is the football program not being supported by the administration. That's all it is. And I'm going to have a lot more to say about this when the time is right. Right now is not the time, but that's about all I'm going to be able to say on that one at the, at the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Sadie is a little emotional right now, Ryan. I heard her crying like she was in pain. She gets a really high pitch yell. But apparently, uh, Angela and Rita left for the vet. Uh, so she's lonely. <laughs> yes. Well, she's not lonely. She just she's normally used to when Rita leaves, she leaves. Sure. It's so like it was really funny. We um we remember when Rita got really sick, mm-hmm. and we thought we were going to lose her. We were at the the hospital down in Fort Wayne or Purdue, and Sadie would lay on the floor staring at the door that Rita came out of. And whenever Rita would come back in, she'd like just go nuts and go sniff her. Then Angela took Rita to the vet about a month ago and Sadie was just sitting there staring at the door and she heard Rita yelp in the back because Rita got a shot. She had to get some blood taken and Rita yelped and Sadie went nuts. So she's definitely a very motherly and she doesn't like it when Sadie, when Rita leaves, but she sounded like she was in pain. So that's why I was like, okay, hold on. Did she get caught in something? Did something happen? I wasn't sure what was going on. So that's why I had to go up and, uh, go up and check on her, you know? Gotcha. So she's my little three-legged dog. So, you know, if no one's around. I knew Angela wasn't here, but I didn't know. I didn't know that Rita was gone. And then I saw a text message from Angela 
that <laughs> that she uh, she left with Rita. So uh, apologies on that one. But Ryan, I don't know if you have much more you want to say. I I, I kind of want to hold off on this a little bit. Yeah. Until we're able to, but th- right. there's there's no reason that Brandon Hillman shouldn't be in the Rams class right now. None. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, man. It's disheartening. I mean, you could pick whatever adjective you want. It's unfortunate. I mean, it's not even just unfortunate for Notre Dame football. It's also unfortunate for Brandon Hillman. Like, yeah. did we talk about that enough that you he's not going to about get... wanting to make a difference in kids' lives? Do you know how yeah. much of an impact you could have in this young man's life? You know, uh, it's you, just it's. You, I mean, he he got he got they caught. I mean, he got. I mean, again, like we don't know if he would have, you know, what would have happened as far as when he got here and how long he would have stayed here, if he would have graduated, like all that stuff's up for debate, right? Up for conversation. But at the end of the day, you may have costed him the opportunity to be a a a graduate of the University of Notre Dame and be set up for the rest of his life. Like that may have been what's right. on the table here. So yep. All right, let's get on to some more questions. Here we go, Ryan. From Brandon Plensner, what's the staff's hesitation on IOC? Is that I don't know how to pronounce that? Epinesa. It's AJ Epinesa's little brother. How come no pot of gold offer for? I, I don't know. I've I've put a feeler out on that one and haven't heard back yet on that. I don't, I don't know. He's a good football player, right? I, he's in Illinois. I, yeah. I, I've seen. Uh, I think Rivals has him as the number one player in the state of Illinois. I don't think he's better than Nathaniel Marshall. I don't. <laughs> I don't think so either. No. But he's a good football player. I mean, he. I, I'd rank him higher. I mean, he's better than Chris Burgess is right now. I don't know if his sure. ceiling is as high, and and he's better than Gabe Kaminsky right now. Again, I, I'm not quite sure if his ceiling is 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 as high, but he's a good football player. Uh, beyond that, I, I don't. I don't have a clue. I I, I don't want to. Man, I know some of the reasons his brother didn't look at Notre Dame. I don't know if those are the same reasons that uh, that he is not either. But he's a good football player. Right. I just I don't know if he's a guy that I think is so good that I'm like, wow, how have they not offered this guy yet? Right? I'm right. not quite sure. And, and we don't obviously we don't know the staff's opinion on him as a player, right? I mean, like we look at the recruiting rankings and he's ranked pretty high, you know. Like and it's ninth like by twenty four seven, fourteenth yeah. by rivals. I, not yet. Maybe he does eventually become that, but he's not as big as his brother. It was at the same no. age. He's not as powerful as his brother was at the same age. He's a good football player. Don't get me wrong, but he's more he's, top 150 right now, top hundred right now than he is top 15, which is where he's right. ranked. Yeah. Uh, AJ Epinesa was a big dude, man. Was oh, a big yeah. Guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then another one from Brandon is another 2025 kid from Illinois that doesn't have an offer yet either. Are there thoughts on 2025 Illinois defensive lineman Jalen Williams out of Palantine? Should be should he have received an offer? I've not seen him, Brian, so this would be for you. I, I mean, again, he's he's offerable talent wise, but there's I I don't want to comment on why he hasn't been offered yet until I know why. You know, maybe it's academic. Maybe they've tried to recruit him and he's not interested. I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why. Maybe there are certain things that. You know, he needs to do to, to forget. It could be a lot of those things. I, and I don't know the answer. And, and if I were to say, Hey, it's because of this, I don't know. It could be is that they they're screwing it up. Like they did Justin Scott. It could be that too. I mean, it, it could be that I, I don't want to, I don't want to critique them and criticize them until I know why he's not offered. And then I also don't want to explain, try to explain to you why, why I don't think he should be offered, but look, he's a six, six, 280 pound defensive tackle that moves pretty well for his size. He's a really good football player. Why he hasn't been offered. I don't know. Sounds good in theory. Again, I haven't watched yeah. him, so I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Like, look, 
we 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 knew Justin Scott's situation. We we knew that they dropped the ball on that. We knew he had great grades. Yeah. We knew all that stuff. We knew he was talented. There was no excuse for that. I don't know enough about Jalen Williams relative to the, how much I knew about Justin Scott a year ago to to be able to make that same claim. To be completely honest with you, right, right. All right. Here's one from Nathan Milton. I'll read for you, Ryan, so you can answer it. And it is from uh, it is about Gearby Lambert. All I want to and he has like five of these. All I want to knows <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, all I want to know is where we are, uh, where Notre Dame is with Gearby Lambert. I like that phrasing of all I want to know. I might I might work with that somehow in an article. Yeah. I don't know. But Nathan, uh, great question. Look, I mean, it's it's pretty much similar. I, I should have some I should have some intel on visits that Gerby has planned for the spring and summer here pretty soon. So make sure to stay attention, uh, pay attention at boards at irishbreakdown.com, Nathan, because I know you're on there. But for anybody else that's interested about Gerby Lambert, I should have an update as far as what visits are being scheduled. But ultimately, you're in, you were in a good spot with Harry Heastand, right? You make a uh, offensive uh, offensive offensive line coach obviously switch. It's going to be very dependent on. Joe Rudolph creating a relationship with him. If he has one already, that's great. But like to continue to build that relationship, getting him on campus is going to be massive for the Gerby Lambert conversation. Because I think Notre Dame is still in a good spit, is good spot. I think it's consistent, but it's about getting him back on campus and closing the deal. But at the end of the day, I will have a update as far as what visits he has scheduled, if he's getting back to Notre Dame, and when on the message board, probably here in the next couple of days. So stay tuned to that. But I think that you're in a good spot. It's just about relationship with coach Rudolph and closing the deal and getting him back on campus. All right. Good stuff. Let's get to this next one here. We have one from Andre Tunzel. Andre's question is I am all in on spring ball. Who's your number one player on offense and defense. Who's your number one player on offense. I mean, I think that one's easy, right? Right now it's Joe Walt. We'll yes. see if somebody can overtake him for that on defense. I, I think it's also, easy for the spring for the spring it's benjamin morrison i don't know yeah. if i would definitely say it's benjamin morrison in the fall if cam hart's consistent this year cam hart could be their best corner i mean yeah there's a reason why people kept throwing at benjamin morrison yeah I, right you know and it, why usc avoided him right because they they could they didn't have Tariq or cam to throw at cam could be that guy this year no we'll see who has the higher ceiling you know because cam will be a fifth year senior benjamin will be a sophomore I don't know if anyone else can compete for that mantle, Ryan, than those two guys. I mean, maybe a Jordan Patelho does, maybe a Riley Mills does, you know, maybe, you know, some young guy explodes like Benjamin did last year. Maybe Josh Burnham has to kind of jump as a sophomore that Benjamin Morrison had as a freshman, you know, sure. who knows? But right now, I mean, going into spring with, with Cam, I don't know Cam Hart's status for the spring. This is my thoughts and opinion based on him having a shoulder surgery and basically December-ish, late November, December-ish. Uh, most likely, I'd say he's probably not going to be full 100% doing everything this spring. So with that being the case, I'd say Benjamin Morrison would be my one for defense. And, and I think – well, I, No, I, I think that you hit on it perfectly because I think when you go into spring ball and you go into just this process like this, it's it the best player is going to be kind of determined by what they have – what the resume is, right? Now, the resume says – Joe Walton, All-American from last year. The the resume says Benjamin Morrison just led your team with six interceptions, and he was a freshman All-American. So when you kind of add those together, I think that those are the only two answers right now. I mean, I guess 
I mean, I guess if someone wants to make a conversation that it's Sam Hartman on offense, I guess you can have that conversation. But like for me, it would be Joe Waltz on defense. I think it's kind of a no-brainer for Benjamin Morrison. Leaving spring could be a completely different person. Leaving yeah. heading into the fall could be a completely different person. But resumes are obviously what matters, kind of going into the process, and then things change usually. Look, Sam Hartman's a heck of a football player. Yes, heck of a football player. He's not as he's not as good as Joe Walt. I mean, he no. wasn't. No, he's not. Agree. He's not. And that's no knock on him. You're talking about a guy that's one of the two or three best players in the country at this position. A first team All American is a true sophomore. Yeah, it's not, it's not in the same deal. It's not in the same deal. So, all right, let's get down to some more here, Mr. Roberts. Here we got one from Jay Henry. Jay says, Ryan Bryan, have we started to see a difference in recruiting philosophies between Tommy Reese and Jared Parker in the 2025 offers? Uh, it's still too early for me on that. It's still yeah. too early for me to know who is Jared Parker recruiting. I'll say this about the quarterback offers. There's a little bit more diversity of skill set in this quarterback class than we saw in 23 and 24 uh, and even 22 to a degree, although you did have Gavin Wimson in the 22 class. But there was a, a type that Tommy Reese was kind of getting to. Yeah. I think we're seeing them being a little bit more aggressive with quarterback offers this early. Normally it would be like, like one at a time. I like the fact that they've now got what seven quarterbacks offered and they're all really good. Well, six of them are really good. The other one's good. Brian Montgomery's good. I just not as good as the others. So a little bit more aggressive there in that particular position, but overall it's too early to, to really have a feel. I, I think as the 24 class starts to evolve, as the 25 class starts to pick up, then we'll start getting a better sense of, of what his yeah. personal preferences are. Yeah. And then we obviously want to see the impact he has with, you know, closing and, you know, being able to be a, a lead recruiter other than just like, co- you know, recruiting tight ends, you know, because tight end board's great. I know he's going to recruit some tight ends, but you know, he's going to be obviously involved in quarterback recruiting, wide receiver recruiting, offensive line recruiting. Like he's going to be a lot more heavily involved. So I'm very curious to see what his overall impact, but to your point, Brian, like you, didn't really get much indication of that in these recent, you know, in this offer list. It's just more, wow, it's a really talented group. That's awesome, man. Let's see what the impact is now. Yep. All right. Good question, Jay. Let's see. Uh, We got another one from uh, Mr. Milton. Another, all I want to know is Nathan wants to know, all I want to know is where are we with Justin Scott? Well, Nathan, we saw this morning that Justin Scott announced that he is visiting Notre Dame this weekend. So that's a, Good sign, right? I, I think that what we're looking at now, because we know obviously Justin has the official visit scheduled to Georgia, ne- you know, in April. So, like, that's going to be a conversation piece for Notre Dame fans, of course. I think that what we're looking at right now is that Notre Dame has been aggressive to get him on campus this weekend. And Justin Scott is now returning to campus, which is a great sign. I think Notre Dame. It's a Notre Dame-Georgia battle, in my opinion. I don't think Michigan's in this one like they maybe were a couple months ago. I think that Notre Dame is still in a very good spot with Justin Scott. But at the end of the day, they're going to go toe-to-toe with an SEC power to the defending two-time national champion. Like They'll have to stand tall and continue to sell, obviously, their program, get a great opportunity to kickstart some momentum this weekend and get Justin back on campus. And then from there, Brian, it's for me, is can you get him back one more time to close the deal? I think that's a big opportunity for the staff. It's a huge one, Ryan. I mean, you you've got to get two more visits out of him. You know, he's going to be at he's going to be at Georgia. 
April 14th to 16th. So, you know, he, here's my, cause we were talking about that this morning, Mike, what would the justification be for bringing him in this weekend? And, and my whole big thing is they need to get some momentum back going with him. There's no doubt, you know, they've got a lot of momentum going. He's been close to committing to Notre Dame a couple times. You know, he, he has gone out and, you know, decided he wanted to slow down a little bit, which is totally fine. I mean, look, kids should make their decisions when they're ready. Simple as that. And, you know, Justin's not one of those kids that wants to do the whole decommitment thing. He wants to make one decision. And so I'd rather him wait. Like it would have been better for Notre Dame to never have Keon Keeley in the class than to have had him and lost him. Just the sure. perception of it. And all. And then, you know, you think you have him and then you down the road, you you say no to certain kids. And then eventually down the road, he leaves and now you're stuck and all the kids that you could have had are committed somewhere else. Right. Yep. So that's kind of where you are with Justin Scott is make the decision when you know and you're right and you're ready. I think that's kind of where I'm at with the whole thing. And so, you know, look, where will he where is he going to visit? We know he's going to visit for sure Georgia. I think he's pr- he's probably going to get out and see Ohio State again this spring or summer. We He's talked about maybe going down to Miami. There's some other places I think he'll go. But if you're Notre Dame, as you said, Georgia, to me, Ohio State, and Michigan, more so Ohio State, are the schools right now that I'm most concerned about at this point in time. It's really Georgia and Ohio State. So you get them on campus early, get some momentum back, get some love in them, you know, remind them why he was ready to pop for you in the first place, knowing he's going to take other visits. So you're not turning on the heat to try to get him commit because that'll have a, a negative impact. But then you basically do everything you can between now and April 22nd to convince him to come back for the blue gold game. So get him back on campus on the the weekend after he visits Georgia and you can stop that momentum again. And that's going to be the big key. You say, Hey, look, you're going to go there. You're going to love it. I know you're going to love it. Athens is a beautiful place. Been there. It's an awesome place. Don't make any decisions, right? Come back here. Cause you, I don't think he will commit to Georgia, but you know, Georgia is going to be putting the screws on him as much best as they can. Let's come back to Notre Dame the next weekend. And I think that would be the – if I could plot it out, if I was the recruiting coordinator or if I was kind of talking to Chad Bowden, I would, that would be my advice to him. It's like, look, and Al Washington and Marcus Freeman, you got to do whatever you can, whatever you can, to get him back on campus on the 22nd. Get him to commit yes. to coming back that weekend as soon as you can so he doesn't fill that weekend up with somewhere else because there's going to be other people having – blue gold games that weekend uh, i think ohio states is is i think that weekend i could be wrong on that i wish archer was in the chat the chat today he could let us know uh it, when it is if there's any other ohio state fans listening let us know when the ohio state uh, spring game is but i think that's the that's the end up goal yeah yep somebody just said something here uh about brandon hillman did he meet the requirements if not then no it's plain and simple notre dame doesn't make exceptions for athletes i'm okay that's flat out false that's flat out false. If Notre Dame's football team had only student had only players that met the school's overall standards for admissions, the football team would look way different than it does. <laughs> right. It would look like Harvard and Penn and, and Yale. It would not look like the the version. Of it. They absolutely make exceptions for student athletes. Absolutely do. They've brought in kids with much lower academics than what I have been told Brandon Hillman's are. And, and there's guys on the team with lower academics than him. So, no, that's absolutely false. That's not even remotely true. Most of the kids on the football team, most would not get into Notre Dame if it was just about academics. It, they sure. wouldn't. 
they wouldn't. And that's okay. That's not an insult. They're, they're more than capable of thriving at Notre Dame. That says more about the admissions process than it does about their intelligence or ability to thrive at Notre Dame. There's a lot of kids that could thrive at Notre Dame. There's just not a lot they're going to get in. That's the difference. And so, no, that, trust me, they make exceptions for the vast majority of the kids on the football. Are there kids that could get in on their own? Of course. Yes. Of course. Corey Robinson for sure could have got in on his own. Sullivan Absher could have definitely oh, gotten yes. in on his own. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Charles Jagasaw could have probably got in on his own. There's yeah. definitely guys that can. It's just not most of them. I mean, Ryan, we're talking about guys that were three fours and three fives that are great students. If you take football off the equation, they're not getting into school. Right. They're exactly. just not. Now, you could argue that that's part of the problem with admissions today is that just so it's so, you know, this standard, this standard, this standard, instead of saying, hey, this is a phenomenal young man or yeah. young woman that would bring tremendous value to our institution, who I think is going to be an incredibly successful person that I want as a, as an, as a paying back alum someday. And, you know, Notre Dame does that to a degree. They do do that to a degree. I just, I think overall you don't see enough of it. And it's hard to do that, right? With as many kids as are applying to Notre Dame and in, in defense sure. of the admissions department, it's hard to get to know every single kid that applies to Notre Dame. Absolutely. You know? And so at some point there has to be some sort of, okay, you may be the the next Bill Gates, but you're a two five, right? You know, as <laughs> right. far as the business, but you're a two five. Like I, I can't possibly know that. I, I can't say, well, let me let me every two five that applies to Notre Dame, let me get to know you don't have enough people to do that. It's just it's not doable. Right. So in 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 defense, there's kind of there, there's kind of you know, yeah, there's that. And and again, from what I know of Jeremiah's academic situation, his standards were not below what we've seen Notre Dame make exceptions for plenty of times, including a lot of guys who have graduated and done well at Notre Dame. So no, I'm not, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that at all. All right, here we go, Ryan. Here's one from Rob Lobo. Rob says, Ryan, what did you see in last year's spring practices that concerned you? I mean, so I only saw one spring practice, Rob. Nothing. I mean, Brian, like I'm trying to like think back. I mean, like, like I the, the first, was- the first day. Yeah, it was like the, yeah. If you're concerned like, about a team on the first day of spring ball with no pads on, it's <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, because I, I mean, there was a lot of things I loved about it. I mean, I thought that there was a high level of competition. I loved the interaction between coaches and players for the most part. Like there was nothing that was overly concerning. But like again, you don't get like the full view from the media side of practices, right? Like give me the full access to everything, and I'll be able to tell you exactly what I didn't like because it's more about like the maturation of the camp than like the first day of camp, if that makes sense. Well, and and it was just so much of it was new, Ryan, too. It's like you had a whole bunch of brand new football. Like I've seen people say, well, you know, we're not going to rank Notre Dame that high because they've got so much coaching turnover. I'm like, hold on a second. You had them in the top 10 last year and they had almost a brand new staff. They lost three coaches out of 10 assistants. And you're concerned about all the coaching turnover at Notre Dame this year. It's like, come on guys, let's, (laughs) You know, let, let, let's be consistent with this one. But uh, to me, you know, you're always going to look good on the first day of practice to a degree. Now, some things that I heard from people that were – I wasn't at practices last year, Ryan, so I'll just tell you some things that I heard from people that I knew that were at more practices, obviously not media people, but, you know, other people, is early on Lorenzo Styles was having drop problems in the spring. And early on Drew Pine was having turnover problems in the spring. Those are two big glaring things that were happening very early and Tyler Buckner would look great at times. And then other times he would, he would just 
his mechanics would get into a funk and he he wouldn't be as good, which we kind of saw a little bit this year. But he was clearly the better quarterback from everybody I talked to that was at practice. But they're still learning to be consistent, which you would ex- expected. Sure. But Drew Pines took a step back starting last spring, according to everybody that I saw. And, and Lorenzo Styles, his his issues that came to be prominent during the fall started in the spring. Those are the only things that I've really heard a lot of um, besides, you know, like what you and I have talked about with the, the players talking about how, you know, there was uh it was complicated. It was a comp- complicated system. It was a complicated system from beginning on defense. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'll read these next two from Nathan Milton so you can answer them. Okay. Nathan Milton asks, all I want to know is, is where are, is Notre Dame with Bronte Johnson? Look, I, I think that Notre Dame likes Bronte a lot. I mean, and, and I think Bronte that Bronte, Notre Dame a lot. I was about to say, and I think that that is definitely reciprocated. Like, I mean, that's a school that he grew up, you know, knowing a lot about, obviously being an Indiana kid, but the end all be all Nathan is that like, can he thrive at a place in Notre Dame from an academic perspective? Like that is going to be like the, the conversation, right? Is he able to get in and be successful from an academic perspective? Like that's where we are with Bronte. I think if it was just simply football, that there's a, there will be would be a spot for Bronte Johnson, and there might oh, still yes. be a spot for Bronte Johnson. But the but the end all be all is that you have to make sure that every side is a fit, every side is compatible, every side he can thrive in. And I just think there's some questions about that right now. And that's kind of where we've been for a long time. So I, I, I don't, and I don't know who's reporting it, but I've had a lot of people say, Hey, there's a lot of concerns about, you know, Bronte and Notre Dame and academics. I'm like, yeah, that's always been true. That's not new. That's always been the concern. We've said that a hundred times. So I don't, I don't know where this new thing is coming from, but um, he's, it's still early. He's got time. It's just, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but Notre Dame likes him as a player a lot. And the Notre Dame coaches, I believe, think he can thrive academically at Notre Dame. I do, I do think that they believe that. Now, whether or not the admissions department believes that or not is the question mark at this point in time. But that's, you know, that's that's going to be the concern. And then we have another one from Nathan Milton Ryan. All I want to know is is where Notre Dame is with Ryan Wingo. That's the last of his. All I want to know is for today. It's it's this is a situation where Nathan, I've been I've been very like I've been very consistent with this. I believe throughout the process, I think that Notre Dame's in a better position with Ryan Wingo than some people believe. But also, it's always going to be a tough pull. You know, like all the schools across the country are going after Ryan Wingo, so this was always going to be a major battle. 
I think that for Notre Dame to have a realistic chance to land Ryan Wingo, they have to get him back on a visit sometime this spring. Have to get him back. Have to make that keep you know build momentum because I the biggest thing with with Ryan Wingo for me, Brian, is like I know people are like future casting to like Tennessee or they did like a couple months ago and stuff. I think that was super premature. I don't think that there's a clear leader for Ryan Wingo right now. I genuinely don't. So anytime that's a fact, Notre Dame still has a chance. But at the end of the day. Notre Dame is going to have to get him back on campus and really keep selling, man. Keep pushing. So are they in the are they in the are they in the are they in the race for him? Yes. Would I necessarily predict him Notre Dame? No, just because there's so much competition for him, man, at the end of the day. But I think that he is and, a kid that and fits what do they Notre have to Dame. sell right now, Ryan? I yeah. mean, look at the offense they had last year. Look, I'd love to have, I'd love to have. Ryan Wingo in this class. Yeah. He's a great player, but Notre Dame can have a great receiving class without Ryan Wingo. It's all sure. about who you close on, and that's going to be the key, in my opinion. All right. Let's uh, – here we go. Here's another one, Ryan, from uh, – actually, I want to get to this one from Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. This is an interesting one because I don't know if you'll be able to speak on this one or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so his question is, better college linebacker Derek Brooks or Jalen Smith? I, I know Derek Brooks was a phenomenal player at Florida State. I was not – it's not in my memory bank, obviously. I know him as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So, so for me, Ryan, I, I do remember Derek Brooks, and he was a heck of a college football player. Um, he was, there's no doubt, he was uh, not as good as Jalen Smith, though, in my opinion. He he was not. And you look at the numbers, like at Derek Brooks, he had in his four years, he had 22 tackles, 98 tackles, 77 tackles, 77 tackles. Now, part of that is the way that the position was played. The will doesn't produce as much volume tackling wise. One of his years, he was on the same defense as Marvin Jones, yes. who was like the best linebacker in college football, you know, had like 130 tackles or something one year. He he was a very talented player. Then he was a very good college football, but he was never quite as dominant as Jalen was. He never had like his most tackles for loss in the season was like seven. You know, Jalen had over nine, two years in a row. I think Jalen was a more dynamic player. Now, Derek played one more year, but like Derek had 22 tackles as a freshman. Jalen had 65, you know, so, so I think about 65, 67. So Jalen, Jalen was the better player, obviously. And 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 Jalen would have been a top 10 NFL draft pick, just like Derek Brooks, if it wasn't for the injury. I mean, there's no the fact that he went in the 30s with as devastating as a, of a knee injury that he had. I mean, leg injury, yeah. it wasn't even a knee, it was a leg. His whole leg was affected. It says everything you need to know about how good Jalen Smith was before that injury. Because for most human beings, I'd say 99% of the players in, in those drafts, they're not getting drafted. Like 99% of linebackers in college football don't get drafted if they have the same injury that Nate Jalen. I mean, Miles Jack's injury wasn't nearly as bad as Jalen Smith's. And he fell into the second round. Jalen's a top 10 player if he doesn't have the injury. There's no doubt, in my opinion. Uh, and he was a decent NFL player for a couple of years, I believe, you know, even with that yeah. injury. But he he was – Derek Brooks – I'll say this. Derek Brooks was a big name. He was an All-American in college, so he was really good. He was an even better pro than he was a college player. That's yeah, the thing about Derek Brooks. He was a great NFL player. Oh, great NFL tremendous, player. Tremendous, tremendous. Yeah. All right, we've got some. right, we've got some more. Here we go. From Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker, based on college and pro career, who is the greatest Notre Dame player from college and pros? I say Joe Montana. What say you guys go Irish? And I can only work off of my lifetime, right? So, like, my lifetime of guys that I've seen, probably Harrison Smith. 
I guess. I mean, oh, Zach Martin. No, I, I lied. Zach Martin is the best for me because he was a stalwart at left tackle for Notre Dame for his entire career. And he has turned into, I mean, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in the NFL, right? Like he's going to be, he is the best guard of this era. And I think if he has a two to three more years of what he's been doing, he has an argument to maybe be the best guard of all time, like that from the NFL side of things. So I guess Zach Martin would probably be my answer. But for me, any player from college and the pros from college, for me, it's it's Rocket Ismail and, and um, uh, it's Rocket Ismail and Bryant Young. One offense, one defense are the best I saw as college players. As pros, I mean, look, I saw Joe Montana in the pros. He was the best offensive player Notre Dame's ever produced. And Tim Brown's number two. And it's and with all due respect to Zach Martin, again, this is before your time. He's got a he's in that conversation with Tim Brown eventually for number two. He's not in the same conversation with Joe Montana. I mean, just you know, he he's just not there for a for pros. But again, I mean. Joe Montana was out of his prime, Ryan, when you were born. I mean, he he had already won his four Super Bowls by the time you were born. So I get that one completely. Um, so I feel very old because I watched three of his four Super Bowls. Uh, although I was very young for his – I was born on all four, but I don't remember the first one and I barely remember the second one, but I definitely remember the last two, especially the last one that was devastating for me because I was over the Broncos. That was that 55 to 10 Super Bowl for the Broncos. <laughs> yep. um, defensively uh, of my lifetime, uh, be probably Bryant Young of my lifetime. Yeah. And, and offensively, it's, it's, I'm sorry, I forgot a guy. It's, it's, it's the, the guys in the conversation for me. It's obviously Joe Montana, Tim Brown, uh, Zach Martin, and I forgot about Jerome Bettis. Jerome Bettis is in that conversation. Jerome Bettis is a Hall of Famer. I mean, so you're, you're talking about what will eventually be four Hall of Fame players. Zach mm-hmm. Martin's just not there yet, obviously, because he's still playing. Yep. Defensively, it's 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 probably Bryant Young, and I don't know if it's really close. He's the only guy that I really remember being an, a Hall of Fame caliber player. Todd Light was a very good player for a long time. He was never a star in the NFL like he was in college. Harrison Smith is probably the next closest thing. I think Harrison Smith's probably the next closest to being a Hall of Fame player of any Notre Dame defensive player that's come out, right? I mean, Stephon Tewitt had some really good years, but injuries kind of derailed him a little bit. I don't know. I mean, Tom Carter was not very good in the pros. Bobby Taylor was pretty decent for a number of years. Jeff Burris had some good years in the NFL. I can't, you know, I can't really. Justin Tuck was a good player in the NFL, but I mean, Bryant Young was a Hall of Famer in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, he was a star for a decade. And and so, and Harrison Smith to me is the next guy with the Hall of Fame resume. When you're the best player in your league or or, or among it for about a decade, you know, I think that's Hall of Fame caliber at your position. I think that's Hall of Fame caliber. It's debatable. It's not as as surefire as Zach Martin's, in my opinion. But I think Harrison Smith has a Hall of Fame resume, especially if you can put a couple quality seasons together. I mean, at his age, if he's just quality player, that's a heck of a player for you know. Most safeties don't play in the NFLs as long as Harrison Smith has played in the NFL. You know, so that would be mine for defense. Not as many defensive stars as as we see on offense for me. Sure. But yeah, that that trio of Montana, Tim Brown, and Jerome Bus Bettis is pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's not bad at all. Doesn't suck. Not bad at all. No, it does not. No, it does not. Here we go. Got it. last couple before we get we get up out of here. From Tyler Smith said, "My buddy, who's an Ohio State fan, asked me which player represents and looks how Freeman played in college. I personally think J.D. Bertrand or Prince Kali, but wanted your guys' opinion on this." Ooh. I mean, honestly, the the guy that most resembles Marcus Freeman in college, they just moved to Viper. That's 
Junior to Alamaka. I mean, Marcus Freeman was like a six foot two, two hundred forty pound middle linebacker. Yeah. So uh, you know, JD Bertrand isn't shorter. Like, yeah, 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 shorter, a little bit more. You know, more built on athleticism. Not as powerful as Coach Freeman was when he played. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy that represents him best from Notre Dame is, I mean, he was probably Manti was closer in body type plus style of play. Manti was a better player, obviously, but as far as style of play, that would be, that would be the closest. Marcus Freeman had like over hundred tackles his last two years. He was a fourth round NFL draft pick. He was a good linebacker. He's very good. He just wasn't the athlete that like AJ Hawk was. That's the problem. Like AJ Hawk was a great player and a freaky athlete for his size. I mean, he was, well, I would say freaky. He was very athletic for his size, but he was a, incredibly instinct, in, instinctive and talented football player. Yep. Coach Freeman wasn't quite on that level. He's a good football player. Like I said, two times, I think he had over 200 tackles or uh, over 100 tackles. I'm actually going to pull this up real quick. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm uh, correct on this. I believe he had two years of over 100 tackles. He had one for sure. Just give me one second. Uh, he only had one. I'm sorry. He had 109 tackles as a in 2007, and he had 84 in in 2008. But in both years, he had nine and a half tackles for loss uh, on a on a pretty good pretty good linebacking core, Ryan. So, yeah, he was he was a good football player. So he had uh, let's see here, he had uh, 71 in 06. He had 109 in 07, and then 84 in 2008. And I think two of those teams he played on, they were. Um, played for a national championship. They played for the championship in 06 and 07, lost both times to SEC teams. But the other thing, too, is you got to remember year, the year right, the year that Marcus Freeman had, eight, had 84 tackles and nine and a half tackles for loss, part of that was because James Arnitis had 130 tackles on that team. He was a monster, man. James yeah. James was a monster. Yeah. Now, the year before, James Arnitis had 121, and Coach Freeman had 109. But they had a couple safeties on those teams too that made a lot of tackles. If you was remember, Kurt Coleman. Uh, Kurt Coleman, yep, yeah, Kurt Coleman was on player. that team. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins was on that team. They had some pretty good. Vernon Golston was on that football team as well. They had some pretty good football players in that year. Uh, and then in 2006, their linebacking core was 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 again. It was it was James Arnitis was at 115. Marcus Freeman was at 71. And then that team had some again really productive players. Antonio Smith had 71 tackles. Uh, on that team, so in ten tackles for loss, so he was. You know, they had some. They had a lot of productive guys back then, Ryan, on defense. So, but yeah, I mean, not as good as Manti, but similar. That's probably the closest in style of play. Six two, two forty. You know, box guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I'd say that's the closest I'd say to him. Did you ever? Do you ever remember watching him play in high in college, Marcus? Yeah. Yeah, Marcus was really good. I just love yeah. James Laurinaitis back when he was oh, with yeah. Ohio State because then he transitioned to a really good NFL career for a while with the Los Angeles Rams. Well, they were the St. Louis Rams, I think, for actually the St. Louis Rams for the entirety of his career. But yeah, Marcus was a really good player, man. Really good player. Kirk Coleman was, I couldn't stand Kirk Coleman because he was extremely over the top with some of his actions, but like he was a really physical player too. Productive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to wrap it up here with this question from Brandon Plenzer. I'm going to ask this one, Ryan, since it's a recruiting question, so you can answer yeah. it. He says, does the number of tight end offers already in 2025 surprise you? Don't think uh, the number will be one in 2025, or don't, don't you think the number will be one in 25 or going for two again? I mean, it really depends, Brandon. I mean, to answer the first question, you know, I mean, the second question first is that it depends on, you know, if there's defections from the roster, if some of these guys that are getting injured don't, you know, get back healthy and aren't able to, you know, 
continue to progress in their Notre Dame career. If you only make, I mean, if you miss out on a couple guys in the 2024 class and you get Jack Larson as the lone tight ends, like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of variables I think that could switch numbers up. Like, so I don't want to focus on the numbers too much. Am I surprised that there's eight guys offered in this class? No, because there's a really good tight end class. It looks like, man, like there's a lot of guys that listen to be like, I would love that guy, and I would love that guy, and I would love that guy. So I'm not overly surprised because I think it's a really strong tight end group. And again, I think the numbers, when you kind of get infatuated with that, it's, it really depends on how guys so progress, early. the numbers, injuries. Like, Are you so hear how nuts this is? Yeah. By the time the 25 class shows up on campus, Holden Stace and Eli Raritan will be seniors meaning they'll be eligible to leave for the draft already before those guys show up. So right now you've got to recruit for volume in that class. And then as your roster takes more shape over the next couple of years, then you can maybe narrow down or expand at some positions if you need to. So I would much rather err on the side of over recruiting that position right now, especially since most of those kids are not in position to commit right now. I mean, most aren't, but yeah, I'd take two. I mean, cause someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to break out and go pro. I mean, all those things are going to happen. Somebody's not going to be as good as you think they're going to be. So, yeah, keep recruiting too. And I take – look, tight end is a position where I'd, I'd take two almost – in a four-year cycle, I would take two every – three of the four years. And I just I just would. Because, again, you're going to – in today's era of, of the transfer portal, of injuries happening, of all – I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. It's not that you need to take two every year. It's just I'd I'd recruit that way and then, you know, be in position to kind of do what you're going to do. I, I'd be curious to see who the number two tight end is in the 24 class because if they get Jaden Riddell, I think that impacts the kind of tight end you have to look for in 2025. I think if you get Jaden Riddell to go with Jack Larson, you kind of have to look at it and say, hey, you you need a little bit more of a traditional tight end. Like a, Ryan, like a Ryan Gee yeah. that was offered out of Texas, like more of a blocking yeah. type in line right. guy. Yeah, to your point. So, uh, you know, and look, I'll tell you something right now. Talking about legacy recruits, James Flanagan is legit. He's Jim Flanagan's son who played on the 93 defensive end on the 93 team. He's legit, Ryan. Like, that's not a legacy offer. That's a That's a legacy who earned an offer. That kid's legit. That kid's really good football player. So, yeah, you give me him, for example, and like one other traditional type of tight end, I'm feeling very good about the future of the tight end position. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right, so that's going to do it, Ryan. I think for today's questions, I think that is going to do it. I don't see any Super Chats coming up. I think a lot of people talking about greatest players on the team. Uh, so, yeah, so that that that's going to do it. So, hey, Ryan. Uh, good stuff today. Looking forward to getting all the, the content you've got coming out because Ryan's going to have a lot more recruiting content coming out. Tomorrow is going to be a lot of spring preview type of stuff. I, I chose not to get all that stuff out before spring ball this year since we're going to have so little access. A lot of that stuff we'll discuss kind of during the spring. So we'll kind of break down the rosters as we go through the spring instead of getting them all out before but we'll start to kick those off tomorrow before spring practice starts. So definitely a lot to check out at irishbreakdown.com. You're definitely going to check that out. You can sign up for our newsletter, daily newsletter at the bottom. It doesn't come out every single day, but it comes out most days. Uh, it'll come out, so you'll definitely want to check that out. And, of course, as always, everybody, sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. 
Uh, you can sign up for a monthly membership at $4.99 a month. You can sign up for an annual membership at $49.99. And as everyone in the chat who's in it will tell you, it's a great value and a great board to be a part of. We talk about football primarily, but every now and then we'll we'll dive into some different topics about different things as well. So uh, great community. You're going to want to be part of it. And if you want to support Irish Breakdown financially, and, and there's I've had a lot of people ask about this, you can, and you're not a message board person, you can still sign up for the message board and, and you're still supporting us financially. And that's always the best way. The two best ways to support us is number one, read all of our articles and listen to all of our shows. And then we get the ad revenue off of that. That's incredibly appreciated. The other great way to do it is to sign up for the message boards because that is our best. Right now, that is that is eventually, we hope to make that our number one revenue source. If if that's that's really the key is when we build that up the way we want it to do so always, always appreciate your support there. So uh, anyway, so we're going to get rolling, everybody. Thank you so much for what you're doing. The guys tonight are going to have a show. It's going to be Vince and Sean Styers tonight at 6 o'clock. So Ivy Nation Sports Talk tonight at 6 o'clock. Definitely going to check that out. They're going to have a special guest this week, which they're going to announce tonight. So that'll be pretty cool. And then the we'll kind of figure out what the schedule for the rest of the week is going to look like. Because obviously Sean Styers is the voice of the Nerdy Wins basketball team. So they'll be on the road this weekend uh, heading down to uh, the Sweet 16. So the ladies, uh, it, it, it was not pretty, but, hey, in the in the college football in the tournament, it's survive in advance. It doesn't have to be pretty. You just need to get that W, and they beat Mississippi State in a rematch of the game where Notre Dame won a national championship. Actually, yes, it was the national championship game for Notre Dame the year they won. So it was one of those shots. One of the games where Enrique Ogumbawale hit one of those big money shots down the stretch. So it definitely uh, was good to get that W. So anyway, for Ryan for and I'm Brian, everybody have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you all again very, very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.